Welcome to Beyond the Crops, the podcast where we share the real and raw behind the scenes of conventional farming and what it's like to raise a family on America's backroads. I'm Jenna. And I'm NP. This is episode one, and we're laying the groundwork for what's to come, starting with all the things we do before the planters run in the field. It's kind of crazy to think about. Like, we actually started preparing to plant last fall. Yeah, pretty much once the combines roll across the field, we're already thinking about the steps to get to where we are now. Yeah. So what's going on in your neck of the woods, Jenna? So we are currently fertilizing. We do apply all liquid fertilizer. We don't use any anhydrous on our farm. I think they used to back in the day, but not since my husband's been full-time farming. So we're applying fertilizer. We'll, we have our hired guy doing some disking work and then we'll follow with the planters. Hopefully next week, hopefully we'll be in the field soon. Oh man. What's holding you guys back? Uh, it's so windy. And then my husband's kind of weird about making sure that he feels right for planting. Like this is, this is when we're going to plant. I feel prepared. Everything is ready. The soil temperature is where we want it to be. All the things. I saw that on your stories. It made me laugh. Levi needs to feel right. He's And And which is funny because two years ago, I think we were literally planting beans in March and then they, they laid dormant, if you will, didn't lay dormant. They just didn't germinate because the soil temperature wasn't high enough yet. And, but when they came up, they ended up being some of our best yielding beans. And some people in the area were talking about like, did you hear about this farmer that put something in his beans where they lay dormant for a while? And Levi was like, no, it just literally the soil wasn't warm enough. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's crazy. I've, I was just listening not to like plug a brand right away, but I was just listening to the precision planting. Like they send out uh, videos from the PTI firm once in a while. And they were seeing like beans planted in April versus May were 15 bushels better. And I, so we're also getting ready to plant here. And yesterday we had the planters out test planting and I was like, uh, we should be setting all these planters up for beans. Like get all the beans in the ground mm-hmm. <laughs> for May 1st because 15 bushels, that's like a lot. Uh-huh. You know, the crop insurance date varies based on your state, but for us, it's April 10th. So if you plant corn before April 10th and there ends up being a loss on it later due to like frost or something, it's not covered by insurance. So we don't plant any corn until after April 10th and the conditions were right. So he played around with doing the March planting for beans and he, so he planted beans and then, um, I think he actually did all of the beans and then switched to corn because beans can be so finicky when it comes time to harvest. He wanted those done first so that we could get them out of the field. Yes, that's huge. Corn yes, can be sure. too. It's all such a such a weird balance. So many There's factors that go into it. such high maintenance crops that we grow to feed our families. <laughs> yes. Well, we're going to dive in deeper on some of the things that we do on our farms before we plant. I just want to say, like, we're super excited to be podcasting together. Jen and I have known each other for a very long time on our social medias and decided... Like, oh, OG sure- followed each other back in the day yes. before... <laughs> yes. We did our very first social media giveaway together. For me, anyways, this first giveaway I did. It was like travel stuff. We gave away some travel essentials. Oh, oh, I don't know if I remember that, but I do remember (laughs) our, uh, do you remember the COVID? uh, We did that Be A Light video. It's still one of my favorite collab videos. I do remember that. You were pregnant with Crawford. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was so sweet. Speaking of him. Okay, yeah. So here's the thing. I asked Jenna to start a podcast a week after she had a new baby. It was maybe a week, maybe not even a week. It was really quick after I had a baby. (laughs) And I felt like 
she should say no, but she said yes. So here we are recording. I didn't say yes to be, I was like, okay, I don't, (laughs) I feel like I want to say no in this moment, but I also know I shouldn't be making decisions right now. So let me think on it. (laughs) I'm so glad that we're doing this together and getting a chance to just dive deeper into some of these things that we talk about on our, on our platforms. Me too. Okay. So if you hear kids in the background, that is just, this is our lives. We're moms, we're farm wives, we're out working together with their husbands on our farms and real life happens. So it sure does. Yeah. Okay. Where does, where does field work start for you? We kind of follow a similar harvest schedule. Maybe I, we start like late September, really late September. Maybe you guys started a little before us. So breaking down our farm, we're about 50, 50 corn and soybeans. If we're going to be heavy on one crop, it's probably usually corn, but not by much, like pretty 50, 50. Um, So usually we start harvesting our beans. I'm sure that's similar. They're ready first. And Mm -hmm. we do, um, we do different kinds of field work depending on the field. It's, it is different than you guys, but I'll, I'll let you get into that. So on our soybean ground, that's where we do most of our strip tilling, which is, has become like our favorite tillage practice. It's a reduced tillage method, but I think some of our favorite things about it is, and you said you have farmers in your area doing this. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wasn't on this episode, but we've talked about it. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you listening, we really wanted this podcast to be a place to learn too. And for us to break down some of these topics in farming and explain how things work. So strip till is a form of tillage where you're only working up a band of soil. So it's about an eight inch strip, I believe. Um, that's how much ground is worked up across the field. And that they're also applying fertilizer in the strip while they're working the ground. And one of the biggest benefits of strip till is being able to reduce the fertilizer usage. So we've been able to lower our fertilizer rates by like 30 or 40% because they're concentrated in those strips and see no effect on like reducing yield. And that's something that's been like studied across Mm -hmm. several thousands and thousands, maybe millions. I don't know how many acres, but it's something that we're doing that we were loving. Um, it's, we hired out, we don't do it ourselves. We oh. wish we did it ourselves, but logistically we haven't been able to do that yet. Um, do you do it in the spring or the fall? Fall. So it's okay. all happening all, right after harvest. We're like mm-hmm. letting our custom guy know. Um, it's, we would like to do it ourselves. Strip till is a pretty like finicky thing. If you don't have your strips perfectly right. And then the guy with the planter is supposed to come and plant right on top of them we can run into issues. Yeah. You so, got to be on the same AB line for that for sure. <laughs> yep. And we've run into that different years where, and plus like having a six, 16 row strip till rig versus a 24 row planner, your rows don't exactly match mm-hmm. up all the time. So it gets to be a really uh, finicky deal. Um, for sure. And if Josh, my husband is Josh, if he had a choice, he would be the one strip tilling because he wants it to be perfect and all that. But um yeah. So one of, I guess this year, especially when it comes to strip till, and this is probably going to be like my longest topic because we love it so much, <laughs> but we didn't get all of our acres done. So the fall, you know, things start to freeze up. You don't get enough time to finish. And unfortunately we had several acres that we couldn't get done that we wanted to. You can do strip tilling in the spring, but I think it's a little more difficult to accomplish with the timing of it in our really short planting windows. When the ground is fit to plant, you should be planting. So agreed. So I guess a couple other things we do in the fall, um, our corn ground, 
with all the residue that's out there, we do a lot of vertical tillage. Uh, vertical tillage is another like reduced tillage method, but basically what that's doing is chopping and sizing your residue so it breaks down a little better and easier. And you wanna do that, I guess they say fall, a crappy job of tillage in the fall is better than a good job of tillage in the spring, just because you're getting the snows and the frost in the winter. Yeah, to help break down the organic matter and like the soil, you know, moving with the freezing and the thawing. So, um, and we do the least amount of tillage we do is chisel plowing, which is what I got to do last fall. And I think they gave me that job because we do so little of it, <laughs> but that's hey, like, it's a good way to get your foot in the door. Yes. Yes. And I guess one more thing we started to do in the fall a little bit is some deep ripping. And that's where we've had like headland issues with compaction and mm-hmm. possibly like the, the grain cart tracks with the bigger equipment hauling more, we kind of have to manage those compaction layers differently. So. And what did you call that, that you do in those areas? Uh, deep ripping. Okay. I think we disc chisel it, in those areas. Okay. But sometimes I feel like farmers in different regions have different names for the same thing. So it'd be interesting yep, for do. our husbands to compare the machine. Yes. One, I, I call it the chisel plow, but I think somebody on Instagram told me I was calling it the wrong thing, but I was like, I just call it what we call it. So yeah, I'm just doing what I'm told. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really funny that we're starting this episode so heavy on tillage because coming into like the farm with my husband, that was where I was the least versed on what things are and how they work and what they do. So, Oh girl, I was (laughs) versed in nothing. (laughs) I've learned a lot. I've asked a lot of questions. (laughs) That's how you learn, right? Yes, for sure. Okay. So Uh, tell me what you guys do in the fall. So it's actually changed a lot over the last few years. Uh, we used to, as soon as the combine was done, a lot of times we'd bale a lot of our corn stalks and then either sell them or use them for to feed our cows or even as bedding in the calving barn or in the calving lots when it's really muddy. Uh, we do do that with the soybean residue too. We then we would sometimes do some fall tillage, but we've gotten to the point where we take in so many cows on our corn stalks. I call it cow sitting because we're taking care of somebody <laughs> else's that. cows. We're making sure they have food and water. Like it's babysitting somebody's cows. It's cow sitting. And Levi always says, Jenna, it's custom grazing. Like, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> so, so technical, right? So we live right in the middle of crop country. So there's miles and miles, thousands, hundreds of miles of just cornfield after cornfield after soybean field, what have you. And the other half of Nebraska is the Nebraska Sandhills, and that is all cattle country. And so we will take a lot of times those ranchers, especially with the droughts that have been going on, don't have enough winter feed for their cattle. So they'll set, they'll ship them to us for a few months in the winter. They graze our corn stalks. They eat everything that the combine left behind. Not everything, but they for sure find the corn. That's what they find first um, that's left behind. And so that's beneficial because it's great high protein feed for those cows in the winter. A lot, the ranchers are usually very happy with the condition their cattle come back in. They usually come back in better condition than they arrive. And uh, they'll clean up some of that organic batter. Eating that corn that's left behind cuts down on the volunteer corn that we would have the following spring. So if you don't know what that is, it's like that seed that's left behind. It's going to probably grow a plant the next year, but it's not a plant that we a seed that we planted on purpose. So it's a volunteer crop. It's technically a weed. And so it cuts way back down on that for us. The cows poop all over the fields. It's a great fertilizer. And then also their hooves are designed to kind of like break up the soil. That's why it's so regenerative where they live in the Nebraska sandhills, but it does the same thing in our fields. Some farmers would argue that they don't want cows on their fields because of compaction, but 
I'm like, look at the machinery we drive through the field. It's way heavier <laughs> than cows. I feel like the cows benefit more than not. So we've moved to where Levi's like, I just kind of let the cows take care of the fall tillage work. <laughs> so we don't yeah. really do much tillage. I mean, we'll close pivot tracks. Uh, when the pivots go through the fields, they can leave really deep ruts. So we'll close pivot tracks and then we'll disc chisel those areas that do seem more compacted. If there was some rain during harvest and some areas got compacted, then we'll rip that up. But other than that, that's about it in the fall. It's awesome to me that you guys are able to do that and that you have the ability to, you know, babysit for the ranchers that yeah. maybe really need that. And like, we don't really do that around here. It's, I mean, if we go geographically where our farm is, we're located between the two biggest cities in Illinois, like mm -hmm. very populated. And we just, there is no, if there's cattle that graze corn stalks, but they're, I don't believe that anybody really does custom, especially on the scale that you guys are doing it. Right. Yeah. It's, we, it's really, cool. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of cows that come into farmers in our area to watch on corn stalks. It's, be, we were kind of, I'm not saying we we're the first ones doing it, but one of a few farmers doing it a few years ago. And now more and more farmers have started doing it, which is great because it's allowed so many other ranchers in Nebraska to keep their herd size the way that they are. We had, a rancher that we connected with a mutual friend, uh, and they were desperate. There were some major storms in Nebraska in December, and a lot of their stocks got snowed shut out there. And the this farmer or this rancher talked to Levi, and he's like, I have 28 days worth of feed to feed my cattle. And it was December, and he has that feed has to last him until spring when the pastures are ready. And so he was desperate. And so we took in a couple hundred head for him. And it like literally, if we wouldn't have taken those in, he would have sold all those cows because he had no way to feed them because of how the drought cut way back on their hay crop and they just didn't have feed. So it's kind of sad in that aspect. But then uh, farmers like us that are able to bring them in and it can be so mutually beneficial, it really is just a cool partnership. That's, yeah. I have, I mean, it's we cool could to see have a whole episode on that. <laughs> yes. Like farmers working together, ranch, ranchers and farmers working together. It's honestly yeah. like incredible. We're but truly all in this far, together. Yes. How far were your furthest cattle from? Like, where did they come from? Ooh, to you guys? This is a fun story. Actually, from the mountains of Colorado, we have a herd that comes <gasps> to us from, I think it's like a good eight to nine hour drive. It's outside of past Denver Breckenridge area. They go on cattle pots. I can't really say how many fit on a pot because it totally depends on weight and the size of the trailer. Mm -hmm. um, but like the, we had a group of 400 cows that all came from the same ranch and that was 10, 10 big pots. A pot. Wow, that has to be uh, incredible to see. <laughs> a, like a semi cattle trailer, cattle pot. There's another name for it too. Yeah. I've only ever heard it called that. But. Yeah. My brother's a trucker and he just told me another name for it. And I was like, what? He's like, it's a cattle pot, Jenna. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I was unaware. I had three oh, names. <laughs> are you saying pot or pod? Pot. Okay. Cattle you know pot. what? I've been calling it a pod. I've been calling it a pod. So thank Maybe you. I'm I learned something I new know. today. No, I'm sure <laughs> you're right. I'm a lot less in the cattle world today. So that I would like yes. to be, I would love to be more, obviously. That is so cool. I think it's honestly wonderful. We'd like to take a minute to thank our launch sponsor, Precision Planting, for believing in us and sponsoring our podcast before any episodes even dropped, and for encouraging us to dive deeper and share more about life in rural America. We aren't really brand agnostic on our farm. We have red, blue, green, and yellow equipment. 
We buy seed from many different brands, but the one place we are pretty brand loyal is with precision planting technology. I know my husband wouldn't plant without it. Using different pieces of technology from precision planting has really helped us improve our operation in many ways, and we really appreciate them supporting our brand new podcast. Okay, when spring rolls around, you said you do like more tillage in the fall. We stock chop in the spring, so all of the old corn ground that has corn stalks left on it. So after the cows leave, there's still corn stalks sticking out of the ground. Okay. Uh, we'll chop those with a stock chopper. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, we'll follow that with just like a disc that just kind of, as my husband puts it, like lightly fluffs the dirt on top to kind of just make a nice garden-like seed bed to plant into. Our soybean ground, so we're similar to you. It's about 50-50. If anything, it's a little corn heavy. We rotational crops. So like the the ground that was corn last year, soybeans this year and vice versa. So yep. the, the ground that was soybeans last year, will just no till plant into that. So like that's had no tillage leave. I'll just plant corn right into that. And then we'll stock chop the corn ground just because those stalks are so thick and heavy. It sets the soybeans up for success to have those gone and mm-hmm. a lighter seed bed to be planted into. Yes. I, I think, uh, the seed bed, like we should, obviously that's a whole nother episode is planting and how important mm-hmm. the conditions are at planting um, and setting yourself up for success by doing all these things that we've been doing. And yeah, for us, um, we, I don't, we, I thought we did some no-till, but I guess I was wrong. Cause Josh said we don't. Anyway, I'm learning every day. We today. no-till our dry land. So yes. So that's what we were talking about too. Cause like, Talk about this. How many, like, what is your percentage of irrigated versus dry land? Ooh, we're like 90% irrigated. We're in Nebraska. We're right over the Ogallala Aquifer. So like you dig a hole, you get water. So we most, almost all of our fields have a pivot on them. There's, we might have like 180, which, so a a field, a a square section is, uh, like a square mile is when you like fly over Nebraska and other states that have like, we see all of those grids and grids and grids, like each square is a square mile and that's 640 acres. And so a quarter is 160 acres and 80 is half of a quarter. So when like farmers talk about a quarter and 80, this, that, this was terminology that I really had to grasp when I first started dating my husband, we might have mm-hmm. one dry land 80 and then some pivot corners are dry land as well. So the okay. pivot makes a circle and then there's like a four corners left that technically don't get irrigated. Yeah. So we're like so different as far as our farming operation goes. Uh-huh. Uh, we have barely any irrigated acres. So like when you say dry land, I mean, we're like all dry land, but I think the reason that we do quite a bit of tillage, like different levels of tillage. Okay. When mm-hmm. I say tillage, like strip till and vertical till are part of that, even though they're considered like reduced Minimal tillage till. methods. Yeah. Yes. But we have an issue getting our fields to dry out by planting. Cause like no till ground, it stays so wet. Like there, we could probably do some, but that would be our last planted fields. And some of it would be lucky if we'd even get to, you know, so crazy it, how different it is. Yeah. Yeah. My grandma we, told me put, this is like a tangent, but I feel like it's relevant. She's 95. It's great. She's Let's talk wonderful. about it. I love your grandma. <laughs> She's so cute. Um, <laughs> she uh, grew, raised a farm girl, married my grandpa, who's a farmer. And when they were younger and in their prime, uh, 
there was, and when it pivot irrigation first became big, I, I should, it's, I think like in the sixties, maybe it started to gain popularity around here. Uh, there was farmers from Iowa, that American farm bureau, like brought buses out to Nebraska on like a farm tour to like see irrigation for the first time. And <laughs> she remembers awesome. like showing these tour buses full of farmers, like how irrigation worked because in Iowa and Illinois, you guys get rain, you get more moisture than us. Like the irrigation just isn't near as necessary as it is here. Mm -hmm. And different soil types, you know, uh -huh. like water it's, holding yeah. capacity. We're out here installing drainage tile to try and get the water to move where it needs to go. So my husband always jokes. He's like, it must be nice to farm in Iowa. You just plant and then go have a fun summer and come back to harvest it. I know it's not that simple. Iowa farmers don't come at me, but <laughs> irrigation, irrigation eats up a lot of our summer. So he just gets salty sometimes. So Josh and I put in our first irrigation the year that I was pregnant with my daughter. So like two years ago, and I can totally relate to the no breaks, even though we only have one, it's been very manual. Like there's no, uh, it wasn't, there's been nothing computerized on it yet. So it's like every time you need to check it, there's like, cause we don't have any apps installed or any fancy technology on it. It's all just mm -hmm. check it. <laughs> Do you guys use, yeah. oh, I guess we should, we, we could probably get into that in a whole episode too, but Oh yeah, I could. It's actually really interesting. We do have some technology. We're always like late to the game and adapting new technology, um, which is okay. Cause Levi feels like it gives uh, other farmers a chance to like trial it and work out the kinks. But yeah, mm -hmm. we had two pivots last year that are on, it's like two quarters right next to each other. And there is one spot that if one of the pivots got stuck or something, the other one could potentially hit it. And that is not good. So we would have oh, yeah. to lay eyes on that pivot every single day. And it was at our furthest field. I wish I would have kept track of how many miles we spent just driving to that field to look at it. We will <laughs> have the technology on that this year so that we don't have to drive there twice a day just to look at it. <laughs> so we kind of talked about like how different our areas are as far as like dry land and irrigation and whatnot. And I think that's why this conversation is so interesting because we don't farm that far apart, but our farming practices are so different to fit our region pretty much and what works for us. And I don't know, I think. And you know, what's um, crazy is like, so we're what, eight hours apart. I, I don't know how many miles, um, but it's pretty much with the exception of the occasional city, it's pretty much just farm upon farm from me to you all across the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so where, like, we have such drastically different practices. Where, where is there a line somewhere? Or does it just like, dra like gradually change? I don't know. It'd be, it'd be crazy to like look at all of that and see where the change actually happens. Yeah. And I think, like you said, farm to farm, even locally here, people are trying different things and doing things differently. So it's just oh, yeah. really interesting. Like people strip till oh. we have friends that strip till we just haven't implemented it on our farm. It's like a big deal logistically, especially if you're trying mm -hmm. to do it in the fall when like your entire crew is devoted to doing all the harvest stuff. So uh -huh. that's yep. like when you need all hands our on entire crew, it's <laughs> Our crew is literally like me and my husband, my in-laws, our hired guy, and uh, occasionally guys to help haul semis away from the field. So yeah, we are all hands on deck during harvest. So that's one of the things. And then plus like there's some jobs and I'm just going to call myself out chisel plowing where you don't need to be that competent to do it. But like the strip tiller mm -hmm. guy has or girl, whoever he or she is, has to be very competent and like keeping on top of like 
is it applying how much it's supposed to be all of that stuff so right yeah all right so we're now we're to spring and you guys are doing stock trapping what and doing your disking and mm-hmm. okay what else happens before the planter rolls uh, we fertilize we apply all liquid fertilizer and so levi is applying that as we speak and so that machine applies the liquid fertilizer three inches to each side of where the seed will be planted. So it's really, that's really important because the planter and the fertilizer need to be on the same AB line or same like GPS lines so that that seed, when the planter comes through, actually falls in between those three inch gaps on each side. So the point of that is then we drop the seed in the ground, that dirt has already been fertilized. And then when those roots start to grow out, then they'll, that's what they'll like make contact with that fertilizer. There is a few small situations. It's like what? I was going to say, it's like having a type of two by two on the planter, except you're separating it, which is probably better for workflow too, as you're going logistically with the planter. So there's a few, this is a little Levi's secret for if you want to get into a high yield scenario, this is something Levi's trialed and has worked well in growing some higher yields. So we'll do the, do that fertilizer, same fertilizer pass where that fertilizer is applied three inches of each side where the seed will go. And then he'll go over it with the disc to again, lightly fluff the ground. And that kind of moves that <laughs> fertilizer around a little bit. And it just gives that seedling as it starts to germinate more points of contact on the fertilizer instead of it just being in two lines. It's kind of like fluffed around yeah. and Levi do thinks that there's value in that. So that is an yeah. extra tillage pass. I guess not really. Cause we would have tilled that ground anyways. I think that's so cool. And Josh and I were, or I've showed Josh your guys' notes before we sat down to do this. And he thought that that was super interesting. Okay. So- what else do you guys do? Do you apply fertilizer? Yeah. It's, a, it's kind of like a little bit weird to explain, but I feel like this is the place for it because like we're getting into the nitty gritty on our farms on this podcast. But so like we farm with my husband and his two brothers and their dad, but we have our own acres to make our own decisions on. Like we all kind of do things different. So like if we're strip tilling, we're applying fertilizer with the strip till in the fall. And then his dad also did some anhydrous. We stabilize that with an agritain, which how effective are those? I don't know hundred percent, but we Mm -hmm. do that. And, um, Josh has done some trials too, where he's done with anhydrous versus other kinds of nitrogen and seeing that the anhydrous has done better for our field. So it's kind of like, it's kind of, we're still kind of figuring that out for ourselves. So we do some spring tillage too. Uh, there's the thing that I think does the most work in the spring is the field cultivator, but we've been able to cut back a little bit on that with the strip till because you don't field cultivate anything that's been strip tilled. You just plant right on top of the strips. But the field cultivator basically is like that kind of little bit of a mixer, like mixes the top few inches of soil. It mixes and levels the soil to break up the clods for that nice seed bed. Um, So that's kind of what Mm -hmm. we do across, um, but like the corn acres that are going to beans and some of those, the corn or the soybean fields that wouldn't have gotten strip tilled to be corn, if that makes sense. Prior to that field cultivator, we're fertilizing like dry fertilizer. We have that spread by um, a retailer too. And that's like a mix of urea and AMS and some micros that go out. Usually those, uh, um, usually the uh, potash and uh, like phosphorus are spread in the fall for us. 
I don't think we've really dabbled in the dry fertilizer, but we do have a lot of those same nutrients in our liquid fertilizer blend that we put in, which is like nitrogen, sulfur, zinc, a stabilizer, which I asked Levi, I was like, what do you mean by nitrogen stabilizer? And he said, it just keeps that liquid nitrogen in this from leaching too deep into the soil so that the roots can actually reach it when they need it. I think we can do a whole, like, I feel like in this episode one, we've introduced a lot of topics that we can do a deeper dive on, like fertility and how for sure. like, even just nitrogen management for sure is a huge one for both of us. So I can kind of get um, nerdy. Watch out. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> I'm excited. We apply micronutrients too, uh, which as I was learning about the fertilizer and everything, it was crazy to me as somebody that wasn't raised in agriculture to learn that literally most of what goes into the field is like nutrients replenishing the soil and that our soils are so much more fertile than they were like 10, 20, 30 years ago. Like the soil is healthy and we soil test every year. Is that part of your guys' program? We'll soil test like grid sample, different things to check the fertility of the field. Yeah, we do every other so I, I don't remember if it's like after a certain crop, like af- always after soybeans or what, but we do every other year. Yeah. So I guess like just right. to kind of sum up, like before the planter goes across the field, we're trying to make sure that everything is ready and perfect for this tiny little seed to thrive and to get it started right. Mm-hmm. And so much goes into that that I feel like we could talk even more in depth on, but it has a lot to do with the soil prepping the soil, making sure that the fertility is there and controlling those factors that we can control before the seed goes into the ground. Oh, we'll start planting in March or April, but we're actually preparing for that in the fall. And then Levi, I'll get the planter out in February and start working on it. I'm like, what are you doing, man? It's too soon for that. I haven't recovered from last growing season. And it's like, we have to start getting the equipment ready. Otherwise, when the weather turns, if you're not ready, you're just wasting yield and money. So... It's mm-hmm. crazy. I've learned every year how much prep work goes into getting those little seeds in the ground. Yeah. Okay. We also apply more fertilizer in furrow, but we do a pass right now just to get that seed bed ready. There's, I feel like it's so funny when my husband talks about getting the seed bed ready, making sure there's a good seed bed, like seed bed. <laughs> so many, mm-hmm. so many talks about a good seed bed. Um, but it is, it's like the only time we get to play offense, uh, which we'll get into when we talk more about planting, but it is planting is the only pass of the season where the farmer plays offense. So the rest of the time, it's all defense at the obstacles that come our way. So that's why we spend so much time getting our equipment, getting our fields, getting everything ready for that, even getting ourselves mentally ready for planting season so that everything can go as smooth as possible. Yes, absolutely. It's an exciting time of year for sure. Um, I really enjoy it, but yeah, it does add a, it's, it's not easy. Something can be exciting and yes. fun and crazy, but not easy at all. So Not easy. If, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. But uh-huh. what, let me just throw an off the cup question that we haven't prepped for. What are you looking forward to the most this growing season, Jenna? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say I am looking forward to being more present. This is, I mean, we'll get into my story later, but I used to work full-time off the farm. And then last year was kind of a transition year for us. And it was a very hard year. So I'm just excited to be more present and uh, have more time on the farm with Levi and the boys and just to get to be in the moment 
this growing season where I feel like I was totally in survival mode the last few years. When was your last, can you tell me when you quit? I can't remember exactly when that was. Uh, so I didn't fully quit. I went part-time and then I went PRN last February, January, February, January, 2022, I would say. Okay. I went PRN. So that just means I'm a nurse. I'll just, I'll go. And if they need help, if I'm available, I just kind of work here and there when I can, if, when I want to. Okay. And you're, are you still in that status? Yep. I am. I'm technically on maternity leave, but. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, you're not. Cause I made you start a podcast with me. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. This is on brand for me to just dive into something new. (laughs) Good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Beyond the Crops for our very first episode. If you liked this episode, please don't hesitate to leave us a review and share with others who you think would love to listen in. We wanted to give one more thank you to our launch sponsor, Precision Planting. Thank you for supporting us and believing in Beyond the Crops.